Welcome to Nairobi Chapel Embakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. So this time I just want to talk about the power of the mind. The power of the mind. And as I was thinking about this, partially patentially, so so Nikafikiria took a, a nice name which was the Devil's IED. The Devil's IED. IED improvised explosive device. So it's a, I just thought of something interesting. So that's what I came up with. And just to start to Anyone can guess the capacity of our brains, how much information our brain can hold. Anyone who has a, a can do a guess? But you find that the brain, some kids say that the brain holds 2.5 million gigabytes. Uh, <laughs> 2.5 million gigabytes. Another interesting thing I, I found about the brain is that the brain can generate about 23 watts of power. 23 watts of power. <laughs> no, no, no. That power is enough to power the light bulb. You can't get that. You can't get that. 23. <laughs> it's, it's so much power. And, and, and you're told that this power, it, it's so large that you require it to rest. And that's why if you don't take a lot of rest, kichuakwe na zaku, kuleta shita. Kwa zaku, your power in a fight. Kuna time in a fight, I crest. And then the other interesting thing about the brain was that you can't feel pain. I hate this capture, but it's in the brain. It appreciates pain signals sent to it, but it does not feel pain. So, why am I talking about the brain? We are told in my Curious line, I found that the mind is very powerful. So I know you want to rewind brain. So nilifanya Google, because I've got a shield of mind and brain, what's the difference? So the brain is the physical part, it says that it's the physical part, and then the mind is the can you say intellectual. It can't be seen, it can't be seen. So the brain is mostly about the physical part which controls our movements, emotions and various bodily functions, while the mind is considered to be the mental intangible and it's the person's morality, reasoning and understanding. So during this time, I'll use the words intangible, but it's, I'll take that to be the same thing, the mind and the brain. So in my study about the brain, I found that the brain is a very powerful tool. In all our bodies, the brain is a very powerful tool. How powerful the brain is, if you decide to do something, like if you decide to buy a certain leg of a car, I say I want to buy a, a Mercedes, you'll find that when you, when you, when you walk in the, in the road, you'll be finding something. <laughs> you'll find that Mercedes everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere you. If, if you have got that, if you just set your mind into, I want to get something, you find that when you go around, you, you find that it will, it will come. The other thing, if, if, if you might not know, is that there, there's a time I met a friend after like a month, we had not met together. So this time when I, I met him and we were talking, the guy was using a lot of cuss words, like, and call me to come in Black like America. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> How is it a lot of castles? Yeah, 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 you know what I'm saying? So when he thought about it, he told me, wow, 
I never noticed about this much. I've been watching a series which had a lot of those words. And that's how powerful our brains are. Whatever you expose it to, it's able just to pick it. And it just ingrains in you, unconsciously, without you knowing. Because then they're not realized that they're, they're starting being a black American. And that's how it is. Our brains are so powerful that they can be able to filter information based on what you need. And that's why when you set your mind on something, you'll find that you'll be finding so many of those things are coming to your When you expose yourself to, you can, sometimes you get to a group and there's positive vibe, you a positive vibe. Because the brain is able just to pick up from the environment you be So that's how powerful our brains are. And most of the time we don't know it, but we are picking because our eyes and our ears feed our brain. And even our, our touch. They just feed our, our brain. And I looked at the Bible, what does the Bible say about the mind? And you can find in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. As you think, so you are. If you look at Proverbs 4, 23, Above all else, guard your heart for everything that flows. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Philippians 4, 7 to 8, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about this. So you find that in all this, the Bible is just knows the power of the mind. And there's one writer who called Craig Groeschek who was saying that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. And that's why Paul was emphasizing whatever is good, whatever is noble, because our minds just follow what, what we think. And that's why when you're told that the power, uh, our tongues has the power of life and death. Because out of whatever you say, it comes. And you see, before you say it, you have thought it. It comes to your mind faster than speed. So that's how powerful our mind is. You just say, I'm a failure. The mind will filter out everything that's working out and bring you the failure part. And, and, and it's just unconscious. That's how powerful our, our, our minds are. So there's one writer who said, watch your thoughts because your thoughts become your words. Watch your words, your words become your actions. Watch your actions, your, your actions become the habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, they become your destiny. So who you're going to be just starts with a thought. The thoughts that you plant in your head. It revolves all through to be to come to be your destiny. So for us it's just to, to watch what we feed our minds. Because it's just a thought. We just need a thought for it to change. There's a writer by the name Elvin Cernad who says that most human suffering is related to love and loss. All our suffering, if you look at it, it's related to love and loss. And if you look closely, love and loss, they are tied to what I call the control center. Love and loss are tied to what we call the control center. And the control center is our minds and our heart. Those are the, the control center. And it's so that whoever captures the control center captures you. 
whoever captures your control center, whoever captures your mind and your heart, captures you. You have no power over them. So you find that their heart is very, their heart and mind are very curious thing. If you look at the verses which we looked at when you were starting, they were talking about whatever you think in your mind. We talked about the heart. Uh, in Philippians, which was saying that the, the last part, uh, the first part it was saying that and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So the heart and the mind are very critical in our everyday life. And we see it even when you look at the at the armor of God. The two organs which have been covered in the armor of God, if you look at it. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. The helmet, if you take it literally, covers your head, which is the body. The breastplate, your heart. Your, your mind is the battleground. We say that your mind is the battleground. Your heart is where the fullness of life begins. Everything of life comes from your heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it comes from the mind to the heart. So, that. so these two are very critical. And you find that in the Bible, most of the time it's your heart, your mind. Your heart, your mind. Because those are the control center of that. And I want us to read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13, which is a normal verse. Ephesians 6, you know, we all know about it. This is the armor of God. And we say, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So if you look at the armor of the, of the Lord, critical parts is, one, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Two, we are told in those two verses, Paul has mentioned stand three times. So in our Christian walk, we need to be standing. Each and every time. You know you're not supposed to be sitting, it's always to stand. And you might ask, so how do we stand in this? If you look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 6, B, I have verse 6A, B, so it's B, <laughs> which is the, I think it's the second part. It says, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So our standing in Christ is standing by faith. If you don't stand by faith, you are not standing alone at all. And if you don't stand at all, then you are just there. You are not in the, in the kingdom of God. So you find that why was Paul telling us? He says that our fight is against the powers, the principalities. And this is what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy wants us to to be down on our knees and not standing. The enemy doesn't want us to stand because when we stand, we are, we are standing on God's promises, we are working on what He's called us to be. And that's not what He wants. He wants us to be down. And why is He so aggressive to fight us not to stand? Because He knows what is in store for us. Because Paul tells us 
no one, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has for us. God has a big plan for each and every one of us. And if I in Jeremiah, he says that, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So God had this plan. The knowing part is not that I call a joy to join the other. He had a plan and a purpose for us. He knew that when I bring John in this world, this is what I want him to accomplish. Because we are told that we are one body but different parts. So he knew which part each and every one of us will come to play when he puts it in our And I usually say that God had a script, he had a story he had wrote about our lives. He sat, did this nice story, and then bring it forth. And I believe that's why there are so many times when give the club of constitution whereby people are saying, when does life begin? And the enemy knows that there's this plan God has for you. So uh, he will start to attack you the very first time. And that's why you find that some people even don't come to, to see the plan that God had for them. Because the enemy knows the power that if we are able to achieve what God has for us, he has no control of us. And you find that this is the story that each and every one of us, God created that story, he wrote this story, a wonderful story about your life, how this guy will come out of And uh, I was looking at the Bible and I saw that to, to just prove that there's a story God has written for us. There's a Moses who God says that he talked face to face with God as one speaks to a friend. He told us in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, he was talking to God and, and he was standing in the gap for, uh, for the Israelites. And he got to tell me, so God, but now please forgive their sins. But if you don't blot me out of the book you have written. So there's a book which has our story. And Moses is the one who says this, and he's the one who was told that you talk to God face to face as a friend. So that's my come and check his story. You know, 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 There's a story for each and every one of us. And there's that book. Books in black book, the character. It's a book which has our stories, which the thing is love. Peace, joy, forgiveness, all this. And this story, I make a provision. I mean, we cannot be able to make it on our own. So I make a provision here, forgiveness. This story has to go on. And we find that in every time, it, the story has to go. And in Isaiah 46 10, he tells us who he is. He says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what's still to come, I say. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I speak of the end at the beginning. When he says our stories, he already knows our stories, all through to the end. This is how they are supposed to be. Supposed to be. And we find that, look at all the stories in the Bible. Abraham, when he was going to Canada and say, this land your descendants will live. And there will be numerous ancestors in there. How many years was he talking about? Over 400 years to come. He was talking of 400 years to come. He said that, I know the end from the beginning. I've already done this story. I know how it's, how it's, it's going to end. If you look at the restoration of the Israelites, Let's, if you go to Isaiah, this one I had to put it here because I got surprised with that. God was speaking about the restoration of the Israelites and he was so specific, he was saying who will be able to rescue them. He talked about Cyrus, the king of the Midians. He said, Cyrus, my servant, he will be able to restore 
my people, build my, my temple. And he will, he will not do it for silver or gold. This uh, around a hundred plus years before it happened. Even the children of Israel had not gone to, to Babylon. They were still enjoying life in Guys, God has a story for us. And it's a wonderful story. A story we've never thought, we've never perceived in this. But there's a twist to it. There's a twist to it. If God has a story for us, why are we suffering? I know most of us. If this story is for my abundance and all, because he says, I have good plans for you. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. A hope and a future. Then what happens to it? Is it that God at a time changes his mind and says, hey, who said if I find a history, the ability to create a new. But you are told that God is not a man to lie, not a man to change his mind. What he says, he does. What he promises, he fulfills. When he is, the story he wrote before you are born is the story that will go on. And I know most people look at the story of the Israelites in the, in the wilderness when God told Moses, let me just wipe out these people and I raise a new generation out of you. And it says Moses changed God's mind. Moses did not change God's mind. God had a plan, and he never changes. But what God was doing when he was telling Moses that, and you see that it was so specific, let me raise a generation out of you. God was testing Moses' heart. Does Moses trust me in the plan I have for the children of Israel? That is Moses sold out to me. And that's where most of us we fail this test because God sometimes brings this test to see are you totally sold out to me? When you say that you love me, are you totally sold out to me? And we might find that later in the sultan, out of that kitu. And then kuna opportunity kame kuja, kadi kame kuja, katenke. That's why God has God has a corner. That's the trick of the start of the enemy. Because God does not contradict his word. God cannot bless you by you stealing. So you God was trying to test you. Can I trust you even with the little things? The 50 days. Can I trust you with it? Yeah. So anything that comes and you see it's a golden opportunity. If, if it goes against the character of who God is, it's not a golden opportunity. It's a trap. God and can I trust you? And that's and that's what and that's what God does to us. He's just brings you the opportunity to see, do you believe in me? And you find that most of these things come at when you are at our lowest points. Come on, come on. He let him be sold down and said, I put up 20k. And you find that at that time, you attack a 20k. And I said, I put up on my chase. So we say that God, God, God doesn't, God doesn't change. His plan is perfect and it will go to completion. He never gets to a time where he says, let us change this plan. And he does that so that 
He loves us so that we are good. He loves us because he is good. No matter what, because he told us that I have loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Ibu masa tu asalnya menapuri. Aku nak There's nothing we can do, we can say. And that's why Paul asks, who can separate us from the love of God? Who can separate us? God has loved us with an unconditional love. And that's his plan for us. It never changes, no matter what you do. It's not about. And that's why you find that he had, he had prophesied this about the children of Israel. He would still do it because it wasn't about them. And that's why we are told that we have been saved by grace. It's not our works that, that brings us close to God. It's by grace. So this is what we do. But I say the plans is not, it doesn't go as far. Like even Adam's story never went as bad plan. Because Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance. But there's also someone else who came, who came to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes to steal our joy, kill our ambitions in God, in the ambitions we have in God's plan, and to destroy our relationship with God and family and friends. That is that. Just to kill that plan God has, has for us. Because you know that we are created for a relationship between us and God. But the enemy just comes and wants to destroy that. But one thing I came to know that this is just a cycle. The enemy can steal everything we have. But there's one thing he can't steal. And it's our sacrifice of praise. The enemy can never steal our sacrifice of praise. And that's the biggest weapon we can hold against the enemy. And that's it's when the enemy is fighting us, instead of falling to the script, just praise God. You will empower him completely. At the time when you are at your lowest, you are told that I've learned to praise in the midst of the storm. When you are in the storm, just lift a shout of praise and see what the enemy You destroyed all his plans. So guys, at our lowest point, let's just remember to him do a sacrifice of praise. So, as you say, the enemy wants us down. He doesn't want us to stand. He wants us to be down so that we cannot be able to, to achieve what God has for us. And as I told you, we have the control center, which is the mind and the heart, and that's where the enemy targets. The arrows he, he, he throws to us, they are not random arrows. They are specific to your heart, to your mind. And he targets the place God has a purpose for you. The critical element of your story God has written to you, that's where the enemy targets that. And that's why you find that when you have a struggle, an addiction, it's hard to come out of it. Because the enemy knows when you come out of it, you're on the other side of God's promise. So, because he knows that. So each and every target he sends to us, it's not random, it's a planned assault. He knows this is what God has planned for this guy. What do I do? Let me cripple him at that place where God has. And you find that that's where most of us, we don't leave God's purpose. Because the enemy has known. You can't stand. But God tells us we need to stand, to stand firm in faith. Another thing I can learn that I can understand is that no one is able to take you out of God's will for your life. No one is able. Ata shetani, ite theatristu, anakuja danti anachicha ye ye, but he cannot take you out of God's plan. The only person who can take you out of God's plan is yourself. The only person who can take you in this perfect plan of God is yourself. By walking out of God. And that's why God, we are told that in the Christian faith, 
He gave us free will. It's for us to decide. Will I trust in your plan that you have for me? Or I'll go with that. And then the problem you have is that God's plan for us is not like to the bear to like you are even even by sheep. Because we don't we walk by faith, not by sight. We believe that he has that. But the enemy story he gives us, it's too hard to we are not God. So we can feel the enemy story, we can see it. We can see it. And that's how so someone else will go by by sight. I can see what the enemy now that I see the results, I'm suffering, I'm doing this, really God has forgotten me. But God's story is about faith. We don't see it, but to believe yes. And one thing you know that God is always for us. God is always for us. There's no single time God is against us. No single time God will fight against us. God is always for us. So when there's a the voice comes to you and tells you that after God and Akuchesa, we do it's not God. Because God is always for us. As we said, He's loved us with an everlasting time. So we say that, where am I going with this? You say that our greatest suffering, sources of our suffering, are the lies we tell ourselves. And as we looked at the mind, we find that well, how the enemy wants us down, he plants lies. And these are the lies which I'm, I'm calling IEDs. He plants lies. And this guy, he's very crafty. Very crafty. Where has he seen the perfect place to plant our lies? In our homes. In our families. That's where he starts it. And he knows the power that we have when we work in our purpose. And as Mama Pema, the best. So he starts it early. People have voted. Things happen in the family. And you find that most of the lies he plants are the lies he plants when we are growing up in our childhood. When our mind is still growing, because we're told the mind grows as, as we go to the age of 20, 28. So at that time when it's still growing in our childhood, that's when we are trying to learn things. That's when he starts planting the ideas for us in our lives. And the lives, he plants it through the trauma that we, we encounter in our lives. That's where he starts planting his ideas. And as we know, the trauma is just a thing which was done to us, which has affected us emotionally, physically, all that. And why does he why does he target the homes? There's a writer by the name John Rivera. He says that he knows the closer the relationship, the more severe the offense. You find that the greatest hatred among people who are once close, it is said that the bloodiest words are civil. Brother against brother, sister against sister, sister against father, father. Those are the toughest. And that's where he knows that when he's able to do, to plant those ideas there, and that's why the family is situated, is an attack. We are told that the family is the building block of the society. So if I blow up the family, the society crumbles down. And that's where he plants his ideas. So we find that we get in our, in our upbringing, there are things which were said to us, things done to us, which created so much hatred. Brought a lot of anguish in that, and that's where the enemy thrives. So he started planting it early in our childhood. We plant this trauma, which never heals and becomes the, they call it, I saw it, it's called post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD because it has occurred for more of the time. So the lies are planted to that because of what has been done to us, what has been said, what we've been able to observe, and it causes us to experience traumatic events which cause us to be fearful, shocked, or helpless. 
Its long-term effects are flashbacks, difficulty in sleeping, and anxiety. So even when you look at the, the characteristics of trauma, they don't talk about God. It just shows the enemy, the enemy works, because it says that one of it is fear. Yet God on this side tells us, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and some mind. So where does fear come in? We say fearful, helpless. We are told that in the, in the Lord we, have, we are more than conquerors. So how are we helpless? So we can find all the characteristics of trauma is not of the Lord. It's not God's plan. It just goes against God's plan. And it's just the enemy who wants just to take us off. And we find that most of us, the experiences that we had in our childhood, have really shaped who we are right now. The experience we had in our childhood has affected how we view life. It has affected even how we view God. Just in my experience with that. Because I've had many people who have said that we call God our Father. My Father was not there, my Father was cruel. So I, see, I view God as my Father. So this. The events which happened, they were not just random, as I said. They were just to bring us down. And from my reading, I, I came found that trauma leaves stresses in our minds and emotions. And you find that these are the control centers, I, I call them, in our mind and emotions. And whoever captures your mind, in, your heart captures you. And our capacity of joy, intimacy, and even our biological and immune systems, they are affected by the traces of trauma. It results in a fundamental reorganization of the way the mind and the brain manage perception. It changes not only how we think, what we think about, also the capacity to think. So these are not just events which happen, they are events which are happened to bring you down because if it's, it affects how we think, our capacity to think, then it has controlled our control center. It has taken control of our control center and makes, makes us not to be able to, to achieve. And the thing which I came learn is that I'm not, uh, there are better people who can speak about this, Kina Lucy, who are in, in this profession. <laughs> but from a layman's, I'm just a curious learner, so I wanted to learn what, what happens. But it says that trauma affects the left side of the brain, which has the linguistic, sequential, and analytical abilities. So it's the left brain. You know that our brain is left right. So when an event occurs, it triggers a person's past. So they are triggers, it triggers your past. And the right side of the brain, which is intuitive, emotional, visual, spatial, and tactile, reacts as if the traumatic event is happening in the presence. And you find that since the left brain is affected, it cannot analyze the situation and send communication to the, to the person and just say that you are just re-experiencing or reacting, re-enacting the past as a result. As a result, this guy become furious, aggressive, or, or just uh, freezes. So the thing is that the trauma affects our left brain. Our left brain is the one which does the analysis, the analytical bit and what. So what happens to trauma? The left brain is affected. So when an event occurs uh, due to, the, to our response system in our bodies, there's a message which is taken to the right brain that there's danger. And body, how God created is when is that is now in every part of the body is just set up for for, for that. And then the, the right brain, if it's normal, the, your brain has not been affected, it just looks around and says, guy, it's not a, it's just a scare, nothing much. Let's go back to normal. 
that's how they normally pronounce. But in this time, you find that when they, they, the sense is taken to the right brain, to the left brain, and say that there's, there's, there's a problem, the, the right brain is not able to analyze that data, and it assumes that there's danger, and it goes full blown. The system goes full blown. And, it's that. and that's why you find that sometimes you sit with someone, you're talking to them, you're cracking jokes, and then you say something, and all of a sudden, he just explode and starts becoming violent and you're like, what is it that I say? It's because there's a trigger with you, you hit, and, it, and someone just explodes in that. And you find that in the exploding, it's not rational, it's not controlled, because it's unconscious. And that's why after that you feel like there's the shame energy to come because now you wonder like, what happened to it? But it's because there's a part uh, your left brain was not able to, to to see which is true, which is false. And I was looking at it, the book I was reading is it was talking about the military guys who go for wars and come back and they find that they have PSTD. And you find that these are grown people, but just the sound of gunshots affected them even now. So you can imagine if you are you are kid that got trauma at that early age, the impact it has, because it has the same impact even for us grown-ups. So what a kid, so when the enemy comes in our families and disrupts our family, what he, he, is he doing? He knows that it will affect you the whole time of your body. And you find that this is where I find that someone who's been in a gunshot incident, you've had the gunshot. When you come here, like fireworks, you find someone becomes agitated or even he freezes completely and run. And then you guys will say, ah, little Baruti, I couldn't keep it. But to him, he's still, the body is just reacting to that. And that's how they enemy. And you find it just goes against God's plan because how God created us is that the system was. There's a threat, sense the hormones, you get activated, run, fight, and then after that, you come back to normal. But you find that the enemy plays with our mind that the system is collapsed, so you cannot be able just to maneuver around. And we, and we, we suffer because now we get to a place where small things just slip get us out of, the, of that. So it's the hormone system, the equilibrium is not restored. So they, you're told that during the traumatic event, after a traumatic event occurs, the individual isn't able to gap between the past experiences and the current life. So you find that the brain is not able to adjust and say that this is the past you are reacting. It's, it's not current, it's, it's not able to do that. And with that, it's, it affects our imagination as a, as, a, as a people, and we are told that our imaginations is what, it's critical for the quality of life because it makes us fantasize, get out of there, you can fantasize, it, it, it goes that, but you find that trauma messes up with that, so even our imagination, we can't look out, it, it, it only does that. So there's, there's a fundamental change in how we view life. We don't view life normally. Like you're seeing a normal person walking on a road, you see meet someone on the road, normal person say, yeah, someone just doing a walk. But to someone who's been traumatized, you might see that that someone who can assault me. And with that the the fear comes in, the system runs an alarm. How that changes that? You find that someone who has undergone, maybe the, in, the, in, the, in the family setup, he knew that when he, uh, the voices go up, then things are bad. So even in the office, when you hear your boss shout, your alarms go, even if it's not you, because you, you are trying to remember. It's just the, the mind playing tricks to you and, and taking you back to that. So you find that after, after trauma events, our world is split sharply between those who know and those who don't know. Those who, those who can trust it and those who have undergone it. 
So that's how we get people. So if you have not gone, I cannot relate to you what, so you are, it's, it's like a, a sharp divide. So they are very choosy. You can get choosy on who you talk to. It's, it's a, because it affects how you relate with others. It affects your trust on how we do that. And as we know, the enemy loves it with the lies, and with all the power of the lies, it's in the secrecy. So the enemy wants us to tell us that time will heal wounds. That's what we are told, time will heal wounds. But with trauma, time doesn't heal wounds. You just put it on the back end. And when things are okay, things are running okay, it's fine. But the problem comes when a trigger happens then it comes back again. And that's why I say it's an IED. Because it just explodes when you don't explain it. You can't expect it. So it's for us just to, to be able to achieve. So how does it affect our day-to-day lives? One of it, from a book I came to learn, is our motivation to life. What drives us? We find that sometimes our, our drive to succeed in life is not just that we want a good life, but it's the fear we are running from. So you find someone is really pushing to be, to be out there, but it's not really the good of being out there, but he, he's running away from the past and that. We find that men, most men, some of us, let's not say most, some of us, are hiding at work. Because we find that work gives us a, a place to run, or we are hiding in the past because bars numbs our, our feelings. Because when we're in the house, we are being, the, the demands of a relationship are way down, it brings us to that. So we find we try to find escape routes, and we are told any escape routes like work, work is good because we are told that most people at the workplace say that your colleagues are not your friends, you just do your work, so you, you don't get into close relationship with them, so to now I cut a distance for them not to be able to know who we are. At times we feel as imposters because whatever is happening is contrary to what I, you believe, what you've known all through. And it says, it's, there's a time, it gets to the serious bit where you, some, this was so interesting for me to learn, it leads to self-sabotage. Because you feel that this is too much, I'm not supposed to enjoy what I'm enjoying. I, uh, so that's how the enemy has been trying to get us out of the plan God has for us. And he did that. And you see, how our brain has been set up is because we have so many decisions to make. So they are usually the, the ones which, the, the common ones, these are like the FAQ. So in either two, right to that. And you find that some of these things are planted when you are young, so all through it goes back to their own feelings. But I believe that's not how God created us to be. That's not the life God wants for us. That's not the story he made for us. Because Jesus came to reconcile us back to him, back to the Father, back to the story he said for us. He says that he is the great physician. He's the great physician who heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. And the thing is, could there be something that is hindering us from experiencing this God the way he created us to be? Because I believe when he died on the cross, he, he tore the, the curtain to the, for us to get a direct access. But we find that we are not able to get to the, to the inner room to experience him the way he wants us to be. Because the enemy has put a veil in our hearts, just like the Israelites told Moses, we can't, the glory of God is too big, just put a veil and you go. And that's what the enemy has done, he's put a veil in our hearts not to experience God the way he created us to experience him. By what? has gone to us. And in Ezekiel 36, 32, he says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In Matthew, he says, 11, 28 to 30, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's asking to come to him and let's put down our burdens unto him. Because he says that I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your head held high. He doesn't want you to walk in shame. He wants you to walk with your head held high in confidence, knowing that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. No one is able to. He's calling us with his hands open. Are we going to trust the shepherd who lays down his life for us? I know it's hard, but we've had testimonies of people who've gone through. And I want to thank Esther. If you had this testimony, it was just how God took it to you. And as I told you, the place where the enemy has tried to bring you down is the place of your greatest success. You are able to move it to the other ground. You get abundance of joy. And that's the story she shared, how things are, and not just for her, but also to the family. And I believe that's where the enemy wants us to be down. But if you are able to stand and do it, it's not easy, but we need to do our part, like how she did her part, going to therapy, when you didn't work, he surrendered to God, and God was able to take her through. And that's the call, I think, for us today. Are we able to trust the Lord to take our burdens? They can be tough because this is what we've known. Some of us say that we know who we are, but do you know what who God says we are? Because if who we are doesn't line up to who God says we are, we are living alive. Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.